Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, man. Let's get right into it. We got some first-time All-Stars and surprises. Uh, Zion Williamson, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, and Jalen Brown make their first appearance. Which one of those four do you think uh, deserves to be there the most? I think this year, I'm really happy that Zach Levine made it. Um, I think that I've gone over it probably at least three or four times on the show about how much his leap has been this year. I think that this year his numbers are not only MVP caliber, but his jump has been so significant and so substantial that he could basically also be considered for most improved player as well. Um, and it was really nice to see that he was able to put himself in a position where with the East not being very competitive, his team was still competitive enough that he was able to be considered for a spot. So I actually put him on my snub list before this. I didn't think he was going to get it just because the Bulls at the time weren't doing too well, but it was really nice to see him make it. Averages of 28.7 points per game, 5.2 rebounds, five assists, elite shooting percentages of 52% from the field and 44% from three. I mean, the guy's doing everything for his team. I don't think they'd be anywhere near close to where they are right now without him. He's made himself untradeable. Yeah, I also have him as probably the most deserving of those four. Um, I also think that Jalen Brown is also very deserving uh, based off of his jump this season. I don't think anybody really saw it coming. I think they knew he's a special talent, but um, his career, he's a 14.3 point, uh, 4.6 rebound, 1.7 assist. Uh, that's his stat line. And this season alone is 25 points, 5.5 rebounds, and 4.0 assists. So Jalen Brown, I think, similarly took a huge jump this year and is also, I think, in the running for most improved player based off that jump. So, um, And I think uh, of the other two, Julius and Zion, you kind of knew Zion was going to win just because of the narrative that's always around him, but or rather not win, but get in. Um, but he's also taken a pretty significant leap this year. I think shooting is probably still a concern. You want to see him be able to score uh, more from different areas and different levels, um, but still doing an amazing job. And Julius Randle has been pretty much the only offensive threat for the New York Knicks. So, um, you know, the Knicks are sitting in the four seed right now, and it's largely in part due to his offensive prowess. So out of those players, if you're picking one of those guys to build a team around, I think I know who you might pick, but who would you pick if you're building, picking one of those guys for the future? It's a tough one. Um, to be honest, I'm probably still picking Jalen Brown in this scenario. I think he's a better two-way player than Zach Levine. Zach Levine obviously is going to get you probably 30 every night, but I think that I respect Jalen Brown's uh, perimeter defense and just being able to play on both sides of the ball. And he's still not that huge of a drop-off from Zach Levine. I think only a three-point differential on their averages uh, per night. So I'm, I'm going to go Jalen Brown. Thing is, for me, I just got to go with – I know that he's not the guy that is the most deserving this year or maybe even the best player out of this batch this year, but this is a guy that's doing things that we haven't seen since Shaq. This is a guy who's putting up historic numbers. He's Zion Williamson is putting up 25 points a game and seven rebounds per game, which on the surface aren't like astronomical numbers, but it's the field goal percentage. I know that everyone's talking about his shooting and how much he needs to improve, but when you're shooting 61% overall and they can't stop you from getting into the paint, it's kind of hard for him to take a different shot when he's having so much success getting inside. 
He's basically bulldozing his way to the rim. And he has had modest improvement in his free throw percentage from last year to this year, suggesting some improvement in shooting form. So I think overall, I'd probably still take Zion to build around for the future. But I agree that Jalen Brown is, is an amazing player. He's probably put himself in a position this year where he's considered just as important to the Celtics' future and success as Jason Tatum is. Which one out of those two would you rather have, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown? You're asking me the tough questions this morning. Um, I'm, I'm asking tough questions today, man. I ask uh, the tough stuff. <laughs> you want to give the people the best insight? Um, I would say just purely based off this season, it'd be Jalen Brown. But I think uh, overall body of work, it's still Jason Tatum. So for right now, I'll say Jalen Brown. But I, I think the Celtics have a good problem on their hands. Let's put it that way. Honestly, they have an incredible situation. I think that they have the potential to have um, basically a souped-up version of what the Clippers have right now with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I think that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can eventually both wind up better than both of those guys um, if they reach their maximum potential. And I think it is really hard to pick between one of the two, between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I think I've mentioned it once before, but I think it's kind of like you're picking between a guy who's got more of a, I'd say, Kobe-esque mentality and approach to the game in Jason Tatum. He has just this flair and creativity on the offensive end. He is somebody that at any given time can explode and maybe score 10, 15 points in a row for your team. But then you have a guy like Jalen Brown, which has lots of shades of Kawhi Leonard and then that deliberate get-to-my-spots um, that ability to shut your shut down your best perimeter player on the other side, um, that insane athleticism and leadership ability. I think that they have an amazing situation going on right now with those two guys. I think they're going to be Celtics for a long time to come for sure. I agree. So moving on, uh, Devin Booker, Trey Young, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo did not make it after having made it last year to the All-Star game. Devin Booker was later, later added as a replacement for Anthony Davis. But for the first round of those four, which one was the biggest surprise for you? I think Devin Booker was for sure the biggest surprise out of those, out of those four guys. I think everybody thought that Devin Booker was going to be a lock to make it. And it just goes to show you a little bit how much the fan vote really does play a role in these kinds of things. Because when you're looking at the standings, you see the Suns are having massive success and they did get an all-star, but it was Chris Paul, the guy that everybody knows from all the years of dominance, the household name. Devin Booker's only recently come on, so I'm guessing that played a role in why Chris Paul was selected over him, because I don't even think Chris Paul himself would say that he is more important to the Suns' success than Devin Booker is. But um, I think that it was a shame that Devin Booker was left out of the initial selecting. It shows that he's underappreciated as a player still. Um, he's putting up 25.5 points per game, 3.6 assists, or uh, 3.6 rebounds and 4.3 assists on really good percentages and he has his team in a top four seed in the competitive West. So I think he was definitely a lock. Yeah, it was uh, disappointing to see him uh, not make it. I think the biggest surprise for me was Trey Young just because he does have a lot of that popular fan vote and was a starter last year. I had him again, making it and starting it this year. So 
to have him not make it at all was definitely surprising to me. The Miami Heat guys, I think if they voted today, would both be in because of their recent win streak, which we'll talk about later. But I, they didn't really start off the season well. And honestly, they weren't deserving of it. Yeah, Jimmy Butler actually had the opportunity, apparently, to be selected as an alternate um, when Kevin Durant was ruled out. But he reportedly turned down the opportunity to come and join because he felt like Bam should have been in it and he didn't want to go to All-Star Weekend without him. But I agree, at that point in the season, with the Heat performing the way they were at that point, they probably weren't the most deserving players. Um, But I do think that Trey Young not making it is not quite as surprising as some may see. The guard rotation in the East was pretty stacked this year, and Trey Young is having a down year compared to last year. He's still having a great year, but his averages of 26.5 points and 9.5 assists are down, and his team is severely underachieving. They're one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference after having loaded up on some pretty supposedly impactful free agents. Me and you both agreed that we thought this was a team that should have the pieces now to go over the hump and now make some noise in the playoffs with the offensive firepower they had. But instead, they look like a team that's still searching for an identity. And basically, his game plan is, hey, Trey Young, go try to manufacture some content and get to the free throw line. So um, I think that right now, with the Hawks performing the way they are as a team, it's really not as much of a surprise to see him not make it. Yeah, I, they're definitely underperforming, and I hope that they figure it out because if not, I feel that Lloyd Pierce is going to be on the hot seat like we talked about earlier. Uh, this this seat's definitely running. getting hot. Yep. All right, well, moving on to another All-Star Weekend festivity. The dunk contest apparently has three participants that have been confirmed. Obi Topin, Cassius Stanley, and Anthony Simmons are all apparently participating. Who of that group uh, do you think is going to win? And a better question, who of that group do you even know? Honestly, I know a lot of the listeners are probably hearing these names right now are asking themselves, who the hell are these guys? Outside of Knicks fans who are happy about having some relevance this year, I don't think anyone knows who Obi Toppin is. Cassius uh, Stanley and Fernie Simmons, same thing. I honestly don't like uh, the trend that the NBA has been doing lately by trying to put in these no names into the dunk contest. It used to be that the dunk contest was a showcase for some of the biggest names to go compete. You used to see guys like Vince Carter, Dwight Howard, guys that like at that time when they competed were like all-star caliber players. That's what makes the event fun. No one really cares if Obi Toppin, Cassius Stanley, or Inferno Simmons wins. Look at that year Hamidou Diallo won. Does anyone even remember that? Like, no, no one cares. Look at last year. I mean – God bless his heart. I, I love Derek Jones Jr., but if you're not a Heat fan, you're probably not going to remember it that much. I think that one of the biggest things about All-Star Weekend is the star in that word. You have to be a star. If you're not a star, you don't belong there. I'm sorry, Obi Toppin, Cassius Stanley, and Fernie Simmons. I don't think any of you have a chance of winning because there are going to be some legitimate players that get added to this, and it's not going to be any of these guys that win. Um, Obi Toppin is a guy with some nice vertical leap, but... At six foot ten, uh, not exactly the most explosive player in terms of his ability to move laterally and accelerate. Um, I don't think that's going to make for very exciting dunks. He doesn't really have like that fly through the sky lift. He's just really a vertical leaper. 
Cassius Stanley is a really athletic freak. He might surprise some people. And to be honest with you, I've never even seen Anthony Simmons. I don't even know who he is. So that that's everything you need to know about that. Yeah, I I, I knew who Obi Topin was and Anthony Simmons. Um, Cassius Stanley, I always get him confused with Cassius Winston from Michigan State. Uh, and honestly, it's easy to get these two confused because one, they have the same first name, but two, they're also both in the G League. So they have a G Leaguer participating in the dunk contest. I really hope that they do add some uh, star power to this because if not, it's just going to be, it's going to be such a waste though. I mean, how do you get this wrong? Like it's in the name, all star, star. I mean, how do you mess that up? These guys don't even have like potential star attached to their name. So I know uh, this is incredible to me. Of this group, I'd probably give it to Obi Topin just because of the whole like New York Nick. He's a the, the first round lottery pick. I think he was eighth selected overall, and I don't think these other selected two. eighth overall, but not even averaging fifteen minutes per game goes to show you the kind of impact he's having. Well, but... at least he's playing in the NBA versus Kashyap <laughs> in the G League. So, like, yeah, that's true. That is true. You got to give him some credit. All right. Moving on, we got some streaking uh, to talk about. We had a couple NBA fans that came into the game uh, without – no, I'm kidding. Um, The Miami Heat, (laughs) Nets, Rockets, and Wolves all have streaks of different varieties. The Heat and Nets both were six wins, eight wins, and Nets just lost. Uh, The Rockets, 11 lost streak, and Wolves, eight lost streak. So what do you think about these uh, winning and losing streaks? And what do you think it means for each of those teams? Honestly, I think that for all four of these teams, this is probably going to be a defining streak in the sense that it's going to tell us more about these teams probably than at any other point in the season, because earlier in this season, teams were still trying to figure out identities rotations and what works at this point there are some uh, there are still some teams trying to do that but if you're still trying to figure it out completely at this point you're probably not going to make the playoffs I think at this point the streaks that we're beginning to see are much more telling of the talent and the direction that teams are going as opposed to streaks earlier in the year that could have been dictated by um, players being out because of injury or people trying to figure out rotation or getting adjusted to the short off season. So I think that for the Miami Heat, this is a really good sign because it's starting to show shades of who they were last year and the team that was able to surprise a lot of people in the playoffs and make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. They've started finally playing to their identity. Um, if you noticed when the Heat were losing games, they were playing very uncharacteristic basketball by allowing some of the most points in the league. They were in the bottom 10 in defense. They were the number one team in the league in giving up the rock, turning it over more than anyone else. Um, And they were very uncharacteristically sloppy in the fourth. They had a lot of games that they were going into the fourth quarter with the lead, but then were just blowing it in the end um, on little details like turnovers, bad shot selection, et cetera, what have you. They obviously were pretty wrecked with the COVID situation and players missing time, Jimmy Butler out, they had a bunch of guys in and out of the lineup. So they didn't have any sort of consistency, but it seems that now they're finally starting to round into some kind of form and semblance. They even won yesterday's game without Jimmy Butler. And that's really a good sign for them because it seems that they've only won four games on the year 
without Jimmy Butler. So they need to be able to play when he's sitting down if they're going to be able to succeed in the playoffs. He can't play the whole game. So I think that this is finally starting to show a team that is growing up some and learning to have some confidence in themselves and remember who they were. For the Nets, I think that what the Nets are doing is extremely impressive too, just because the biggest question with the Nets was, um, what's the chemistry going to look like with Kyrie Irving and James Harden? We always knew that Kevin Durant, he's just a machine. You, you just toss the ball into him. He's going to score from wherever. But Kyrie Irving and James Harden had seemingly a lot of overlap and what their rules were going to be coming into this union. So Kevin Durant missing all this time and basically forcing Kyrie Irving and James Harden to play together and learn to play with one another really was beneficial to the Nets and helping those two guards develop a chemistry so that they're both not just standing in the perimeter waiting for someone to pass it to them, not moving the way that they typically would earlier in their career. So I think that the Nets are going to be really, really powerful when Durant comes back. Again, they won eight games in a row without Durant. So when Durant does come back, I think that this is the team to beat 100%. Um, and then for the Rockets and Wolves, honestly, the Rockets situation could not be any worse. The whole Houston we have a problem saying could not be any more accurate than right now. Um, the Rockets, 11 losses in a row. That's just depressing. Um, if you look at what the Rockets have been having a deal with recently, they offered Victor Oladipo a two-year $45 million extension. He declines it. They lose to Memphis by 49 and John Wall then comes out after the game and is quoted as saying, this expletive is ass. It's terrible. Honestly, I don't know what's going on with Houston right now. It seemed like they had a, some semblance um, of a competitive roster going, but it seems like when Christian Wood went down, it really ruined them. They really did need Christian Wood in that team, replacing those 20 points and 12 rebounds that he was giving them has seemingly been impossible for this roster. And it seems like John Wall and Victor Oladipo, without that inside presence, are very easy to defend for their teams. And this team, honestly, at this point, is looking like they're going straight for the lottery and should probably be thinking about shipping out Victor Oladipo soon, given that all indications are he's not going to stay with them. Um, they're probably going to be looking to move John Wall, Victor Oladipo, or both, given that there's nothing to salvage for this season and try to acquire some picks. Um, as far as the Timberwolves go, eight losses in a row, but nothing new there. It seems the Timberwolves have, Timberwolves have a eight-game losing streak multiple times a year, so not really going to wax on too much about that. We'll probably see them do this again later on, but this is who the Timberwolves are and have been for years, so no surprise there. Miami Heat, I think, have uh, gotten back to their form, as you pointed out, um, I think that what's even more surprising about both the Heat and the Nets are they do, they're doing this without the full team there. Um, Jimmy Butler sat last night. The Heat still won. Tyler Hero sat for a few games. Heat still won. Drogic just came back into the lineup after missing a majority of the season so far. Still winning. So they're finally doing it with their different rotations and able to have success. It'll be impressive once they have the full team there on a night in night out basis to see what level of progression they can get as a unit and the nets they're doing this eight win streak without durant so the person that is supposed to be like you said you put the ball in his hands he's just going to score and, and win you the game 
I, he hasn't been there. So Kyrie, Harden, they're meshing well. Their depth clearly isn't a problem for them. And their, I guess, conditioning is, is pretty good, even though James Harden, I guess, taken off a fat suit. He was able to really uh, just get into shape very quickly. Um, and then James Harden's for, former team, the Rockets, um, yeah, they're, they're going to have to have a fire sale. And it, it almost – it's fine for this upcoming season because I believe they have the Nets pick for next season. But if they're doing poorly in 2022 or 2024, it puts them in a worse predicament because then the Thunder are going to want their pick and they're going to take their pick. And then the Rockets are going to get stuck with the Thunder's pick, which you think that the Thunder are probably going to do decently. Uh, in the next couple of years with just what they have on their team currently and where they're probably going to go. Um, but then also it, it, the Nets aren't going to be bad. So if the Rockets are stuck with the Nets or the Thunder pick versus their own because they do so poorly, then they're going to be giving up their lottery pick pretty much in, in each of those swaps that they have uh, with with the Thunder. So We'll see what happens uh, with the Rockets moving forward. I do think that Oladipo has moved. Uh, I do think John Wall's moved, but next season. Um, and then the Wolves, that's all I'm going to say about them. If you want to know my feelings on the Wolves, listen to episode 11, 12, 13. Yeah, honestly, it, it's, it's really indicative of what these teams are going to be. And before we move on from these streaking teams, I do want to give one player his credit for these uh, – or for one team's success. I do think that people need to give Kendrick Nunn some credit for what he's been doing lately. Kendrick Nunn last year finished second in voting for rookie of the year and largely became a forgotten man because he went into the bubble in playoffs and basically could have knocked down a single open shot. Um, it looked like he was basically left for dead and it looked a lot like the performance that he put up in his rookie season was largely a fluke. He did go undrafted, not a guy that had a lot of expectations, older rookie as well. But I think that a lot of the success that he'd have been having has also been because of the stability that he's provided to their guard rotation. They, at one point in the season, had nobody that could knock down open shots. This point in his career, or at this point in the season, Kendrick Nunn has now elevated his shooting percentage to 38% from three. Uh, which is three percentage points above what it was last year, shooting 91% from the free throw line. Overall, really efficient, 47.5% from the field. So I think that that's had a major impact as well. Yeah, I agree. He's definitely come back into his own, um, and it's it's good to see. Might be um, the perfect I, trade chip for the Heat too. Yeah, potentially. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think it's good that he's playing well, uh, and I – I said at the beginning of the season that Tyler needed to come off the bench. Um, so I think that that's a better fit right now uh, between those two. But moving on, speaking of the East, we have some tight teams in terms of uh, the five through eight. So there's three teams currently that are tied for fifth with seeds four through eight. All are within one game of each other. So let's talk about those teams in the mix and who you think you uh, feel will separate. So right now we're looking at the Knicks, the Heat, the Celtics, the Raptors, and then we got the Hornets out there in eighth at 16 and 17. This is shaping up to be a really tight Eastern Conference race. The East started off really, really slow, but these teams are finally starting to round into form. Um, but I think when we look at these teams, 
obviously the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics are going to be a cut above the Knicks, the Raptors, and the Hornets from a simple, just on paper roster standpoint. I think that those are the two tiers. You have the Celtics and the Heat, and then you have the rest. And if I'm being completely honest, out of those two teams, I expect the Celtics to figure things out and at some point go on a roll because the Celtics all year long have been up and down. They've had guys in and out. Missing Marcus Smart has been a bigger loss for them than expected. Um, Kemba Walker has been underperforming a little bit, but they're still a very talented team. And I think that the Celtics probably have their two best players are probably better than any of the two best players for any of the other teams. I think they probably have the most talent on their roster overall. So I think the Celtics probably wind up taking that fourth spot in the end, followed by the Heat at five. Based on the way that these teams started, I don't know if they'll be able to catch up to the one through three teams, but I'd expect for it to finish Boston Celtics four, Miami Heat five, Raptors seven, Pacers eight. All right. So adding, adding somebody else into the mix. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you that I think that the tiers are Miami, Boston, everybody else. Um, I do have a little flip-flop, though. I do think Miami will finish over Boston um, for the fourth seed. So I'll have Miami fourth, Boston fifth. Um, I'm going to put New York sixth and actually making the playoffs. And then I have Chicago uh, beating out the Raptors for a play-in spot and Charlotte wow. also uh, winning the play-in spot. So I think Chicago, Chicago and pick. Charlotte. Well, yeah, there's got to be some uh, upsets that are in there. So I think that they'll uh, beat these guys out for a play-in play spot. For I think the listeners tuning in, let the record show that Eric does live in Chicago. I do live in Chicago, but I am impressed with what the Bulls are doing. So. I am too. Honestly, I would love to see what Zach Levine would do in the playoffs. I think that if the Bulls made it, that would be way more entertaining than if the Hornets, the Pacers, or the Raptors made it. I would love to see what he would do in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, it would It would be interesting. Um, all right, so we talked a little about Oladipo earlier and his potential future. John Collins is another person who – has reportedly turned down a contract extension from the Hawks. So where do you think Oladipo goes? And do you think John Collins goes anywhere now or potentially after the season closed? Yeah, these are some pretty interesting situations. I think that for uh, for Oladipo, the writing is pretty much on the wall. Um, Oladipo basically expressed that the reason why he turned down the contracts from Houston was because At this point, Houston is only eligible to offer him a maximum of a two-year, $45 million extension, which is what they offered him. Oladipo, though, probably after coming off the injuries that he has, realizes that he wants a long-term deal, which they can't offer him until the end of the season. Um, It depends on what Oladipo is looking for here. Oladipo is at a crossroads where he has to decide if he wants to maximize getting the best contract or if he wants to maximize winning. Um, I don't think that any team that is a team that he could join that would become a contender by his addition would be willing to offer him a maximum contract 
or anything close to the ballpark of what he's looking for because at this point, yes, he has returned from his injury and he is healthier, but he hasn't quite regained the form that he had when he went down. He doesn't look quite the same. He doesn't look as impactful as he did before. I don't think any team would offer him what he's looking for right now. And I think that the offer the Rockets made was actually a pretty fair one. So um, in the end, I think that he might end up staying with, uh, with Houston just because I know that his top preference is to go to Miami. And I don't think that Miami is going to offer him because I think that Miami is pretty set with their, with their guard rotation. I think Miami would be better served to use that money on a, on a big man or a wing player. That would make a lot more sense for them. So I think the only team that might be willing to offer Oladipo what he's looking for would be uh, the Rockets. And the other team that I'm hearing a lot would be the Knicks. The Knicks at this point feel like they actually do have something competitive over there. And they feel like pairing Oladipo with newly minted all-star Julius Randle, Derek Rose off the bench, they feel like this would give them something that could compete in the playoffs and make some noise. So um, if Victor Oladipo doesn't care about the organization that he plays for, and he cares about just going somewhere where he can build up his biggest brand of himself and get the best offer, then he'll be a Nick. Um, as far as the John Collins situation, they offered him an extension. It was worth 90 million, but he turned it down because John Collins reportedly believes that he is worth closer to something near the maximum contract extension range of 200 million. Obviously he's not going to get that, but he, uh, he feels like he's going to get something a lot more significant than the 90 million that Atlanta offered him. Atlanta, on the other hand, was in no rush to offer him this sort of deal, given that they have him under contract still and have the option to match any offers he may get in restricted free agency. So they're basically in a stalemate where, where he's like, hey, I think that I'm worth a lot more than you're offering me. And Atlanta's like, okay, we'll prove it. Like if another team really does offer you that much, then we'll think about matching it at that point. So that's basically where we are. Um, I think that when things go down this way, it usually doesn't make for a good reunion in free agency for the two parties. So um, I think that at this point, he probably feels like Atlanta doesn't value him enough. And he's honestly a really talented player. He fits the mold of what any team would want from a modern NBA big man. And he's extremely young. He's been a generally healthy player. He's very athletic. And he's putting up borderline all-star stats this year. He's putting up 18.1 points per game, 7.6 rebounds. He's 6'9", 235, and he's only 23 years old, and he can shoot the three ball. He's shooting 85% from the free throw, 39% from three. So I think he'll definitely get a contract offer that is more substantial than what the Hawks were willing to give. And I think he ultimately will probably wind up leaving for a bigger deal for a team that appreciates his services a little more. I think they're crazy to let him go. He's a perfect fit for young but um, I've been hearing rumblings that after the Heat struck out seemingly on, on the Giannis plan, they might use that cap space on a guy like John Collins, who would seemingly be a nice compliment along Bam Adebayo by adding another big body in the front court that can switch and defend multiple positions on the perimeter and inside, but also add that spacing element from three-point range, add another role man, um, and they feel like 
his peak would coincide with that of some of their other young players. So if they're building for the future, they might be willing to spend some of that new money that they found that they can't allocate to Giannis for John Collins. Yeah, I think um, both of them will be gone. I think Oladipo will be on a trade deadline. I don't know if it'll be the Heat. I could definitely see him going to the Knicks. Um, I just think that the Knicks are going to try with anybody that they possibly can. Uh, For John Collins, though, I think that he is – he's definitely a talent. I think he's probably the most unappreciated or misused player on his current team because – in 2018, he had a huge jump in points per game it, from 10.5 to 19.5. Then 2019 goes even higher, 21.6, and averages a double-double with 10.1 rebounds. And then last year, or this year rather, he's down in terms of points per game. He's down in field goal percentage. He's down in rebounds. And so I assume the field goal percentage is likely due to shooting more threes. But – He's clearly no, he's shooting the same amount as last year. Well, His then he's, excellent. Well, well, maybe. All right. Well, then I, I don't know what it is. I think that the offense is too reliant on Trey Young, which is probably why it's they're that. 14 and it's 20. Literally that. And they need to run through some schemes through John Collins. And I think he's going to be like, hey, my numbers have taken a dip. And this team, in turn, has also taken a dip. So not necessarily that correlation equals causation, uh, but I am likely going to leave because you guys do not know how to use me. And so I definitely see him betting on himself with that argument this year, also not really coming into the media and being professional and like not blasting the Hawks for how they're using him or blasting them for whatever uh, is going on with the team. So I think he's been the consummate professional. I think that they have misused him. I think that he will end up somewhere What's else. What's definitely going on, though, if you look at it, is this. You're right. They are misusing him, and it's because they are not using him enough. The one big stat this year compared to last is his field goal attempts are down. He was averaging steadily an increase in field goal attempts every year until this year, where he has now regressed to 13.1 field goal attempts per game. Last year, he was close to 15. And he was converting 58% of those last year. This year, it seems like he's a less focal point of the offense. I don't know why that is. but Probably because right. of the additions of Gallinari and Bogdanovich. They want to get the rest of the people like involved in the offense. But still, why are you going to take away from a guy who's done excellent by you and for you to give to people who are unknowns? It's honestly, it would be a huge shame if he leaves because he really is the ideal compliment for Trey Young. I don't know why Trey Young isn't putting John Collins in pick and roll like every single possession. Because he's trying to get that foul from behind, man. Can't get that. He's trying to do. He's trying to use the Trey Young foul. I'm I'm so tired of the the foul calls in this league. I saw an atrocious call yesterday where Stephen Curry. I mean, as a defender, what do you do? Stephen Curry literally pump fake and he jumped forward, like not like a sidestep. He literally jumped from the three point line forward into his defender. The defender literally had to like step backwards and fall to try to avoid the contact. And he was still called for the foul. At this point, if you're a defender, you can't even get close to the guy. Like you have to literally play like dodgeball with these people. They're going to jump into you and you have to literally jump out of the way of them. It's nuts. Yeah. I, I, but I think that the offensive players aren't in the wrong there. I think it's on the league to handle it. For sure. They have to stop rewarding this stuff. 
including yeah. the Trey Young, pretend that I stopped and then you jumped into me foul. I mean, this is just, it's ugly basketball. Like, play the game. Stop trying to play for a foul. Yeah. Well, their record shows that they're not playing the game well. So hopefully the Hawks can turn it around. But if not, we'll see what happens. Now, on to a great segment, the deposition. Wanted to uh, talk about a Twitter listener that sent in the statement saying, Tyler Hero has quickly become the most overrated player in the NBA. Bet the Heat wish they traded him. Defend the position for why the Heat are justified in holding on to him despite the criticism league-wide for holding on to him when they could have had Harden. Yeah, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I am a Heat fan, and I've had to wrestle with this myself because I know that we could have had Harden, and I was one of the guys, too, that said that we shouldn't have traded him. Obviously, the Heat have gotten a lot of flack since then. Tyler Hero, honestly, has not had the season that a lot of people have expected him to have. And I think that a lot of the reason why so many people are hating on him and blowing him up about being overrated and all this stuff is because he's a very, very young guy who hasn't really done that much in the league yet. He's still only a rookie, but he's seemingly trying really hard to brand himself and kind of like embrace this star spotlight even though he hasn't really put up the numbers to justify it yet necessarily. Like he's got his own serial, like they're called heroes. He's like clearly very, very involved with some Instagram girl who's convincing him to brand himself. This is clearly something on his mind. He's got a bunch of different t-shirts with the, with the snarl and you know, all, the, all this stuff. He's got a rap song with Jack Harlow. He's in a music video. I think that that pissed off a lot of people because they're like, dude, like, you're not a star yet. Like, why are you doing all this stuff? And I can understand that for real. I do understand that. I would be probably a little annoyed with him too if he wasn't on my team. But we do have to also temper expectations a little bit and look at things for what they are. Tyler Hero, keeping him was a long play for the Heat. This was never about this year. The decision to not trade him is a long-term decision to understand that if you trade for James Harden or another aging player, you give yourself a window where yes, you may compete for a championship right now, but you're probably gonna end up regretting the back end of that deal for two and three years when that player is 33, 34 years old and they have some deadweight contract that nobody wants. Do you really want to put all your eggs in one basket for one season and then potentially endure four to five really hard ones because now you have to start all over again and you traded away your young talent? I think that the Heat were looking at a situation where you have a young Bam Adebayo, you have Duncan Robinson, you have Kendrick Nunn, you have a, a you know, pretty good pipeline of young players that you've got. And if you keep them all together, you're giving yourself a chance to compete for years to come. And you can always sell an attractive situation with many good players on the roster in Miami to a free agent on any given year. You could always have a given year, for example, where some free agent like a Giannis or someone comes available and looks at that team and is like, hey, that situation with Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, that looks like a good situation where I could go join that, have really great complimentary pieces for myself and be able to compete for years. And I think that if you look at his statistics, they're not anywhere near as bad as anyone is making them out to be. Um, the very guy that we're talking about that they should have traded him for, um, in reality, Tyler Hero is outperforming that guy's second year stats. It's not like Tyler Hero is having 
um, a year where his numbers are down. Like we're talking about a guy who James Harden in his second year put up 12.2 points per game, 3.1 rebounds and 2.1 assists. And he was older than Tyler Hero in his second year in a similar role. Tyler Hero in his second year is putting up 16.9 points per game, 6.1 rebounds and 3.8 assists. Yes, he's not James Harden right now. And I'm not saying he's ever going to be, but he clearly has shown improvement from last year to now. And I think that one thing that's pretty, um, I guess, optimistic about the numbers that he's having this year is that he is putting up 16.7 points per game, which is up from 13.5. But he did increase his field goal percentage overall while he did it. It's not a product of just chucking up more bad shots. He is converting 45%, which is solid for a second-year player. His three-point percentage is actually down, which you would expect it to go back up. It seems that he's just been having um, a little bit of a shooting slump being in and out of the lineup this year but you don't expect for him to shoot sub 35% from three um, consistently. That's something that you expect him to get up near the forties. Again, he's a good shooter. And we all know that um, he's shown improvement in his decision-making and ball handling ability at this point in his career. He's a better distributor and playmaker than James Harden was. And James Harden is currently the number one assist man in the NBA. So there's, it's not impossible to say that Tyler hero may not one day become a guy who can, reasonably give you 25 seven and seven on a nightly basis i feel like that is definitely within his range of achieving at some point and if you get a guy who can give you 25 seven and seven for five years on a on a good deal that probably might be better than a guy who's going to give you 38 and nine for one or two years only and then is going to plunge your team for the next three to four years after that and let's be real james harden in miami what was he going to do over here he's going to be at the strip club every week he was never going to pan out here so do you want Tyler Hero on a cheap contract who's improving, who is being distracted by only an Instagram girl? Or do you want James Harden for one or two years who's going to be partying in South Beach and going to the strip clubs all the time? I think that if you're the Heat, you just live with it. I think that it'll end up panning out in the long run. It's still too early to tell if they made the right decision or not. You're also putting this whole deal in a vacuum and saying that it was uh, Tyler Hero for James Harden. And that's just not the case. It would have been Tyler Hero plus Duncan Robinson plus Precious Achua. So all of the Heat's young And two picks. Plus probably more. Plus uh, the first round pick in 2025. Plus the first round pick in 2027. And then swaps in 2024, 2026, 2028, and probably 2030. And you would have had to uh, completely... Um, unprotect the pick that was given to the funder, which is lottery protected right now. So if for any reason the Heat should stumble for 2021 or 2023, their picks there, then they're screwed if they don't, if they make it um, to the lottery and it's basically helping the funders case there. So there's just so many different layers there to that trade that people don't consider. It's not just a one for one. And Houston wasn't really considering trading James Harden until he was like, I'm going to be as toxic as I can be until you trade me. So yeah, the heat would have been better with Harden, but it would have been at the sacrifice of their future. And again, to your point, who knows if he would have been a good uh, teammate or a good like bystander in terms of just like getting the job done. Or if in two years, he's like, you know what? Jimmy Butler's old. Bam Adebayo is not the all-star that I thought he was. I want to be traded now to really go play with Kevin Durant. So it's, 
I'm glad we are not dealing with the headache. I'm... Yeah, he's just honestly too much of a head case. It's just not really like the heat culture to have that kind of player on it. A player who's very me oriented and basically believes that he should be above team rules and allowed to have exceptions. I think that it would just send a bad message too to a developing team with young guys that need to have um, a regimented and structured um, environment to develop in. And the other aspect too, that people need to take into account for Tyler Hero. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter argue about saying players like uh, Malcolm Brogdon are better than Tyler Hero, all this stuff, like basically comparing them to like solid players, but players that at this point are largely not considered to be future stars or anything like that. To them, I say, and people saying also, LaMelo Ball is definitely way better. Uh, Anthony Edwards, I'd take him over Tyler Hero. Are you guys serious right now? Like, Tyler Hero did put up 37 points in the finals. You guys do remember that, right? He's the youngest player to drop that many in a finals game, I'm pretty sure. He also averaged 20 for a playoffs, like for an entire playoffs. Not just for one game or one series, but he averaged 20 for an entire playoffs. That's something that has a lot of value too, because a lot of times you'll draft a player, let's say, I don't know, Paul George, like the Pacers did. He'll be a great player. You'll have him many years. And you'll have to have them years a lot of times before you get to the playoffs and find out, is my guy a playoff guy? There's a lot of guys in the league that are stars during the regular season. Playoff time comes around, you find out they're not a star in the playoffs. It's a different environment. Look at Jimmy Butler. Look at Kawhi Leonard. They, as good as they are in the regular season, they're someone else in the playoffs. They step it up to a new notch. And when people elevate their game, when the situation is tightest and when teams are the most locked in that's how you win and there are some players that in those situations they fold sometimes you'll draft a guy like an anthony edwards and you'll think that you have a talented guy and then you get to the playoffs and you realize he's a paul george that he can't he can't hit shots for you when they count you already know that tyler hero can hit those shots right now that has an immense value too so to all the people saying they'd take lamello anthony edwards whatever the case may be over hero let me know when those guys average 20 points for an entire playoff series or drop 37 in a finals game. When that happens, we can talk about it. Well, with that, I think we've covered enough this week and we'll be back next week with some hot takes, great opinions. I'm Eric Gonzalez with Court of Opinion. And I'm Mike Court is adjourned. <laughs>